Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the Old Testament book of Daniel. We're currently in chapter 9 at verse 20. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading right away in verse 20 of chapter 9 of the book of Daniel, where it says this. Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So we find here in the last part of chapter 9 that Daniel is... Uh, uh, in the middle of his prayer, in, my, in many regards, you can uh, look at it that way. It, it, it only says that uh, it doesn't necessarily say that he, he hadn't completed his prayer, but it does say that uh, while he was still speaking, it says, uh, then this man Gabriel appeared to him. So this we have, this angel's arrival, and we know he is an angel because of previous uh, encounters as well as other contexts. Even in the uh, New Testament, we know he was an angel and not just a man, but that seems to be the way angels presented themselves for the most part in the Old Testament and the New is that uh, they presented themselves in a masculine form or shape, uh, and uh, that seems to be the pattern. Now, there's uh, maybe a couple of exceptions in the Old Testament, but uh, uh, generally speaking, that still is a pattern that is maintained. And this uh, and this angel named Gabriel, here in this passage, uh, interrupts or at least uh, comes in at the very end of uh, Daniel's prayer. And uh, Daniel has already uh, been praying for quite some time, and he says so, uh, confessing the sin of himself as well as the sin of his people. What's fascinating is that uh, we pointed out in the last episode that Daniel had no recorded sin in the Bible. Now, now of course, if we know our theology or our, our biblical anthropology, Apology. We know that there is sin nature, and there is that uh, within us, the capability of sin, and uh, that was true of Daniel as much as anybody else. But uh, in in as far as the the recording of Scripture is concerned, we have none of Daniel's sins here, and uh, yet he adopts the sins of his nation, and he goes as an intercessor, and is it is in that role as an intercessor in which this angel Gabriel comes to him. By the way, the name Gabriel means 
the hero of God. And you can tell that uh, God is in his name because of the last syllable, L, just like in the name Dan. Daniel, <laughs> and that is uh, El is the name of God. That is the shortened form of the Hebrew word Elohim. So Gabriel has the name of God in his name, and uh, Gabriel seems to, uh, when he does make appearance in Scripture, he uh, seems to take on this role of being a uh, a revealer, a, uh, one who who gives revelation, one who gives truth that hasn't been uh, revealed yet, hasn't been written down yet, things that are new, things that uh, mankind and uh, the prophets would never have known all on their own had there not been a revelation, had there not been truth revealed. And so uh, Gabriel seems to be an angel designated with that particular role. And that's that's why he shows up. And again, I want you to notice in verse 20 that uh, uh, Daniel's prayer is on behalf of himself, but it's also on behalf of his people, Israel. That's the context. He's praying for the Jewish people that are now scattered throughout uh, the land, scattered throughout uh, the region, scattered throughout the empire of Babylon, and now Babylon has been taken over by Medo-Persia, and now he is praying this prayer of intercession on their behalf. So that is the entire context. And in fact, this prayer of intercession was stimulated or motivated, that is, uh, in the beginning of chapter 9, because Daniel had read, evidently in his quiet time, on his scripture reading, uh, he had read from uh, Jeremiah about the 70 years of captivity in Babylon. This was specified as a fulfillment of God's disciplinary action against the nation of Israel for their failure to keep the Sabbath years, not just the Sabbath day. They failed to keep the Sabbath years every seventh day year was to be a Sabbath year. That is the crux of the matter. That is what uh, motivated Daniel to make these prayers to begin with because of these 70 years were now reaching their completion. And now it's sort of like implied here that Daniel is praying his heart out uh, to know what comes next. Is the nation as a nation going to repent? Are they going to be allowed to go back to the land? And if so, what will be the qualifications of them going back to the land. Now, all of that is implied because of the urgency of Daniel's prayer and because of the timetable that he knows he himself is living in. He is living in Jeremiah's timetable of 70 years in this captivity, in exile, out of the nation of Israel, out of the, uh, the city of Jerusalem, out of the holy mountain of God where the temple used to stand. And it is now sitting in ruins. It has been destroyed by uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and the implements of the of the uh, temple had been carried off to Babylon. Now, Medo-Persia is currently in charge of all that, ter- they, that same territory, 
And so uh, this is highly important because it's important to Daniel to know what happens to the holy mountain of God where the temple used to be. And what's fascinating, he says, I was speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision previously, and uh, that's recorded in chapter 8, verse 16, where Gabriel is called out by name to give Daniel understanding of that vision in chapter 8. Now, Gabriel uh, comes forth again, and so he is recognizable by Daniel by this time. He says, he came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. That's according to verse 21 of chapter 9. And what that means to me is, look at this, that Daniel not only knows his time frame in uh, in being very, very close to the end of that 70-year period, perhaps year 67 or 68 of the uh, of his own captivity in Babylon. And, and yet, look at this, he's been there for 67 or 68 years, and he still remembers the the timing of the evening sacrifice of the temple, even though the temple has not stood, the priesthood has not been activated, the priesthood has has not offered any sacrifices for 67 years, and yet he still remembers his daily clock by that timetable. That is just so fascinating that uh, he carries on that remembrance and he, he times his own daily routine by the routine of the temple that has been destroyed for the last 67 years. Why? Because it's important. Because it is significant. It's significant to, to Daniel and to his people and to the city of Jerusalem and to the temple. All of that is important because that is about to be what is revealed in answer to this lengthy intercessory intercessory prayer at the beginning of chapter 9. And so um, this is this is where Gabriel steps in and he gives instruction and talks with him. That means that angels do not just, just give messages by telepathy. You see, he gives verbal instruction. Uh, God's word sometimes is inspired by the Holy Spirit, meaning that he takes the vocabulary of the prophet or the author and he he um, motivates them to write them down, uh, write the things down word for word the way they would normally write it down. But he inspires it in the sense that he makes these words now his words, and they become God's words. And yet in this context, we find Daniel recording the words of the angel as being the word of God in this case, because it's all inspired. And that's exactly what... uh, Gabriel came to do. And so this vision, by the way, it's called a vision later on in verse 23. Um, And uh, uh, this vision isn't so much what Daniel saw. This vision is as much as what the, uh, the angel wants to lay out as a calculation or as a purpose statement. And in fact, uh, we read that purpose statement in, uh, in uh, verse 24, and we'll get to that in a moment. But but what I want you to, to understand is that Daniel is now receiving this revelation from the angel Gabriel on behalf of God's revealed truth about what is going to take place when these 70 years have been completed. And notice that, uh, oh, Daniel, I've come forth to give you insight with understanding. And uh, 
And he says, at the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued. Notice that this took place uh, at the start of Daniel's prayer. Isn't that encouraging? That's encouraging to know that sometimes God starts the answer to the prayer when we start the prayer. He doesn't have to wait to the end of our prayer time for him to begin the activity on his side of the the realm uh, in order to implement the answer. Uh, So so he was sent at the beginning of Daniel's prayer, anticipating the content of his prayer and the result of his prayer. And uh, so in advance, God commissioned Gabriel to do this. That is uh, just so comforting to know that uh, we can start our prayer and we finish our prayer. And by the time we finish our prayer, God has really already started because he anticipates the whole content of our entire, entire prayer even before we get started or as we're getting started. And that's exactly what Daniel sees here and what Gabriel tells him. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that that, uh, Daniel uh, has such character to be respected, and yet on the other hand, uh, we know that he has. He's been respected by men, and now he's also respected by angels, at least the angel Gabriel, and he wants Daniel to know that he has his respect because of his work. And that doesn't mean Daniel earned uh, salvation or was born again because of his works. It just means that now he is sitting in this place of the being the recipient of Gabriel's words from God that he is about to reveal about what is going to happen to the nation of Israel, his nation, his people, and his city. Well, we'll be back right after this short musical interlude. Welcome back, and we are going to continue on in Daniel chapter 9 at verse 24. And this is the beginning of the uh, angel Gabriel's speech and his revelation. And in fact, uh, this revelation is given as a decree, it says in verse 24. And these are 70 weeks have been decreed. And notice the object of this decree. It's for your people. Well, who are uh, the people of Daniel? That is uh, the Jewish people. And so that is a clear context, a, a clear establishment of 
who is the who is going to be the recipient of this decree uh, your people and your holy city you see that should have been right off the mark an encouragement to daniel to know that god has not forgotten jerusalem jerusalem was sitting in in ruins uh, the temple was sitting in ruins it had not functioned for 67 years it was unoccupied except maybe for a few stragglers uh, there was nothing of any religious activity going on there at all in the mountain of god by the way that that mountain where the uh, where the temple had been, had had been called previously as the place where God would put his name. And uh, that is exactly why he chose the Temple Mount, was to place his name there. And that's, that's the centermost part now of this particular revelation. This isn't about heaven. It is about the earth. And it's not just about the earth in general. It's about a specific territory of geography. And that territory is the land of Israel, the land of promise, and the city of Jerusalem, and the mount of the temple. And that's exactly what he's getting at here. This decree has been given to you. Now, it says it's been 70 weeks. That's the, uh, that is the decree length. Uh, this is a new decree. This is beyond the 70 years that uh, Jeremiah uh, himself uh, prophesied about at least twice. But um, it says for the context, if we are to know the context of 70 weeks, we need to look at this in detail because the New American Standard translates it properly. It could just as well be translated 70 units of seven or 70 sevens if you wanted to use that kind of uh, translation that would be a literal translation uh, in many regards, and yet that doesn't quite make sense to our uh, own uh, English understanding and uh, our own uh, use of our language to describe things. So it's it's better to, to take this as it is, and it says 70 weeks. Well, what do these weeks comprise of? And of course, our own culture ha- has lived for so many Uh, years, uh, so many years, as a part of our history in adopting the calendar and of seven days. And we call each uh, each uh, uh, length of seven days, we call that a week of days. And that's the thing we're most familiar with. But you see here, you need to take the context. And there seems to be a lot of confusion uh, because people just go to a passage or a paragraph or a sentence or a verse like this one, and they go, oh, that just means uh, seven days or seven days in a week and seven days times 70 is 490 days. And, and they, they get themselves all messed up because they fail to look at the context. Or they say, oh, uh, there's been so many interpretations, and there's so many interpretations, it's so confusing, I'll never understand this. And yet it is very understandable. It's just very, very unfamiliar. And uh, so the context is important. How do we know these length of each of these uh, weeks? Well, each week is 
What is it? It's years. That's what it says in chapter 9. It has to do, I, Daniel, look, chapter 9, verse 2, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years, which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. This has never been about a week of days. It is always about years here. This is uh, a week of years, 70 weeks of years. How many years does 70 weeks make up? Well, it makes up a total of 490 years. And that is the that is the calculation of this timetable that Gabriel is giving to Daniel in regard to the nation of Israel and in perspective of being dominated by the Gentile empires. You see, they've endured the captivity of Babylon and now Medo-Persia. They know uh, according to, or at least Daniel knows, according to his uh, his prophecies in 7 and 8, that, uh, that there's going to be the Grecian empire, the Greek empire, and then there will follow a Greek, another empire after the Greek empire. And so now that we know the empires involved in dominating the nation of Israel and disciplining the, the nation of Israel, Number one, by Babylon in captivity. Number two, we're about to find out. And that is uh, that uh, there is another timetable. And it's longer than 70 years. It's seven times seven years. That is a total of 490 years total in which these four empires will carry out uh, uh, their work dominating the nation of Israel, and Israel will need to respond to this timetable of history. And uh, so in many regards, it's encouraging, and yet it's uh, not not encouraging either, because because on the one hand, the, the captivity is over. On the other hand, the discipline is not. It will be a different level of discipline, but it will still be in existence. Nonetheless, uh, even for the next 490 years. Now, it says then, and uh, had been decreed for your people and your holy city. Uh, Notice all the way through Daniel's prayer, it has always been about the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel. Uh, That's verse 7. In verse 16, it uh, has to do with your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, and uh, Jerusalem and your people, in verse uh, 17, in verse 19, uh, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, listen and take action for your own sake. O my people, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel's whole appeal to God is based upon the contractual agreement that God himself had made with the nation of Israel, the promises of God, the the covenants of God, the covenants uh, that uh, God had made with the nation of Israel through Moses and through David, through Samuel and other places. He has made this covenant that involves God working with the nation. And now uh, we find what is next after this captivity is over. And here are here are these purposes then he outlines here. And again, 
these purposes have to have certain general applications. They have certain specific applications, but they will all be fulfilled in this 490-year period. Again, I want to point out that since this prophecy is about your people and your holy city, that's the context, then basically this Prophecy isn't about the church. Uh, The church is something different, and we'll learn about that later on in uh, uh, future episodes and in the New Testament. But for now, let's settle ourselves to look at this. Uh, This is the nation of Israel, the people of the Jewish people, and, uh, and the city of Jerusalem. That's what this concerns. And you can't spiritualize the city of Jerusalem or spiritualize the nation of Israel out of uh, its existence because that's not what this is about. And uh, so uh, this happens to be, though, one of the most significant timetable prophecies of what I believe is to be the entire Bible. There are other more significant things uh, uh, in other uh, categories, you might say, but when it comes to historical timetable, this is critical. We need to understand this passage of uh, verses 24 through 27 if we understand any parts of human history or of Gentile history uh, and its relationship to Jewish history because it all has to do with each other. And we need to understand it. If we don't, we won't understand Jesus' own messages uh, in Matthew and in Luke because he himself refers to something in this paragraph. And and the authors of, uh, of those passages even give attention and say, let the reader understand about this quotation from the book of Daniel. And so if we can't understand Jesus' words without understanding these words of Daniel, then you see, we are going to get uh, ourselves all messed up or confused or just uh, ignorant and uh, just uh, completely... Uh, Uh, irrelevant and treat these passages as irrelevant when they shouldn't be. And so here are, uh, or here is, the list of, uh, of these purposes to finish the transgression. That means this disciplinary action is going to fulfill itself over this next 490 year period. And it will be finalized and it will make an end of sin, to make an end of sin. And there are general sins that need to be ended (laughs) because there has not been righteousness on the earth by human beings since the fall of Adam and Eve. There has been sin on earth since the fall of Adam and Eve, and yet God is restoring humanity to a new thing, and that new thing is an end of sin. And what else does it include? An atonement for iniquity. We find that that uh, during this 490-year period, atonement will finally mean, be made on behalf of iniquity. We'll find that the Messiah will make that atonement. He will, in his own person, make an atonement for iniquity. And that uh, is what that phrase means, to bring in everlasting righteousness. That means not only will be there be an end of sin, there will be a production of righteousness on earth. And uh, this is a righteous uh, kingdom. It is a righteous kingdom established by the Messiah uh, to reign over the nation of Israel. And we'll find that out in this passage. And to seal up vision and prophecy. Vision and prophecy 
prophecy is the pre-recorded history. And as history then is fulfilled, then history, then that means prophecy then is uh, fulfilled and history is completed. And that's what we are to look for. And finally, to anoint the most holy place. Now, in the New American Standard Translation, that word place is in italics. And what that means is the translators of the New American Standard Translation have put in that word that doesn't necessarily exist in the original uh, language. That means it could just as easily say to anoint the most holy, and it could refer to the Messiah himself, or it could refer to the holy place inside of the temple, the temple that was predicted by Ezekiel and uh, and was given a great elaborate description. And that may very well be the Messiah's temple in which he himself will dedicate to his own holiness and to his own glory. And so that may mean what's involved in anointing the most holy place and the most holy one, the Messiah himself will sit in that place, will be in that place, and he will make it holy by his own presence and glory. Thank you, Father, that we currently live with past history to demonstrate that the Messiah is a high priest who takes away sins, that he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, according to the, uh, the author of Hebrews, who quoted from Psalm 110, verse 1, that the Messiah has bore our sin on the cross. He has made an atonement for our iniquity. I pray, Father, that any that hear my voice today would respond to that message and trust that Jesus the Messiah took their sin and laid them all upon him and bore the penalty on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.